Greetings and thanks for tuning in to Dr. Joel's Power Parents. In this episode, Getting to Therapy Part 2, my co-host Mia Fasolo and I get into mental health stigma on college campuses. Also, we talk about what college mental health services are like and what students are able to access and also what they cannot access. Uh, the top challenges uh, among college students and why students go to therapy. What are those reasons? And also uh, tips on what to look for from college mental health services on the campus that you might be attending this coming fall. So thanks for tuning in and enjoy. Hey, all. Welcome to Dr. Joel's Power Parents. Uh, this is part two of uh, an episode that we started last week. Um, with my co-host Mia Fasola. Mia, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Um, this is uh, somewhat of a popular yet challenging topic. Uh, I know last week we talked a lot about um, mental health and accessing treatment and stigma and even uh, tough words like suicide and depression and all and um, why that stuff's so important. Um, but now, I mean, you know, students like you, you're making the jump from high school to college. Yep. Yeah. Um, so this episode, I think um, it'll be good for not only people in my position um, who are about to become um, college freshmen, but also other college students, because um, we're going to take what we talked about, um, what we talked about in last podcast episode and kind of talk about um mental health specifically for college students and kind of specialize that topic a little bit further. Yeah, definitely. So do you, what do you think, Mia? Like, do you, do you think, or maybe through conversations with friends of yours, like when you're all applying to college, looking uh, at schools and there are obviously thousands of them to consider, are, do you think students are actually looking at the mental health services that college colleges have, or they don't even check? That's a really interesting question. Um, for me, I knew that those resources were, were that they were going to be available no matter which school I picked. But that's interesting because when I was making my decision, I didn't really specifically look into that. So I think that students, they know that resources are available to them, but I don't think that it's a strong factor in their decision making process. I would agree. I mean, certainly when I applied to college a long time ago, um, never even crossed my mind. And uh, despite the fact that um, college campuses are doing a really great job in highlighting um, mental health and psychological services on campuses, uh, it's certainly not at the forefront. It does, it's not on the landing page necessarily of a college website. Usually those are filled with really cool pictures and, and a vibrant, you know, uh, vibrant students and enthusiasm and all that good stuff. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that, like I said, um, people always know that resources are available to them, but for the decision-making process, people don't really look into it as much. Yeah. And even if they are aware of it, you know, me, one of the things we were talking about last week that I thought was really uh, critical was stigma. And um, it certainly continues to exist on college campuses, uh, mental health stigma. 
Um, and in my experience, having been a psychologist on college campuses for 13 years, um, a couple of the schools that I worked at, I did some uh, work with a, uh, a student-led group um, called Active Minds, right? So these are, are it's a national organization, Active Minds, and, and their specific mission is to challenge the stigma associated with mental illness. And they do an unbelievable, uh, well, a series of programs on college campuses, one of which is a backpack program where they, they come to your campus and they actually place 1,100 backpacks around a designated area on campus. And each of those backpacks represents um, the number of students who commit suicide every year on college campuses. Oh, wow. It's incredibly powerful. I've seen it a, a, a couple of times and I've had the, the really a great opportunity to uh, present at one of their conferences. And um, uh, so there are organizations and, and there are on campuses um, chapters of active, active Minds that are student led. They have an advisor. And again, like I was uh, lucky to be uh, an advisor um, uh, to that organization. And uh, the kids were doing just amazing work. Uh, to really try to push um, through the the stigma that's connected to it. Yeah, that sounds awesome, and and like you said, definitely super powerful. I can imagine. Um, Active Minds. Um, I'm in a club at New Providence High School, and we did an initiative that was linked with Active Minds. So that's really cool. Oh, it's great. It's awesome, and it's great to know too that they are uh, connecting. Uh, with high schools. I knew they were, but great to know they're doing it locally too. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, you know, and, and so the deal is though, that despite all of that work, despite the, you know, multitude of like posters and, and, you know, web pages that campuses do offer relative to mental health, uh, students still struggle with making that appointment and, um, and, and participating in therapy while they're, they're on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, it presents a new set of challenges that are, are unique to campuses, even though, and I can assure you of this, counseling and psychological services on college campuses, Mia, are very, very busy places. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things we talked about last week was like one of the stigmas one of the things that holds people back from going is feeling like, well, I'm the only person going through this. Right. Well, <laughs> if you see the numbers on college campuses there, it's just incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, great that schools are doing that and, and great that the, the stu- students are getting involved in, in doing that as well. Um, it's just, uh, it represents, um, you know, like I said, some unique challenges. And, and for a lot of students, it's the idea of walking into an office building. And one of the biggest fears they have is seeing one of their friends there. Right. You know, which, which might actually be a good thing. <laughs> but it's always, it's always was an express worry of like, well, I don't want anyone to see me going in there because, and it's sort of that fear of what people are going to think. Yeah, definitely. I remember um, in last week's episode, we were talking about how 
it is scary to take those first steps and kind of make yourself vulnerable. But then once you step out of your comfort zone and take those first steps, you will almost always find um, a sense of community. Absolutely. And, you know, oftentimes students learn that they're not the, you know, not the only ones going and, and, and someone I'll say like, oh yeah, well, I see someone or I've seen someone in the counseling center and it's kind of like, oh, and it becomes very validating and normalizing, which is really critical in breaking through that stigma. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so for me as um, a high school senior, I'm used to the way that high school classes run and the workload and, you know, the schedule routine and everything about it. And I'm so excited for college, but I know that it's obviously going to be different, different pace, different workload, different um, classes, the style of classes. And so I know that some current college students, obviously, and just with it being different than high school, it's, it's something totally different, something new, and you don't really know what to expect until you get there. So what advice would you give to college students who feel overwhelmed by this new um, pace of life and even some students who feel almost burnt out while at school? Um, at school, you mean at college or, or while or now? College. And college, yeah. Okay, so here's the thing. Like, I think, and it's a really great insight and point to make because, you know, as a, as a high school student, you know, for since you've been in first grade, your time has been completely structured. Right. Right. So what are your, your high school classes? What, 42, 43 minutes each? They were, but um, they just changed the schedule to one hour blocks. But for. Gotcha. Okay. Right. So when you're in school, though, physically in school, they're usually that long. Bell goes off after 42, 43 minutes. You know to go to the next class. Right. Right. So um, you're also in that building for 35 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So now what happens and what overwhelms a lot of students initially anyway, is that they go from 35 hours a week to 15, maybe 16 if there's a lab. Right. Of coursework. Right. So now you're not spending 35 hours a week in a building. You're spending 15 to 16. And um, in addition to that, the accountability uh, measures that are built into the structure from first grade through senior year are gone. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's no bells and whistles going off. There's no there's no one coming over the loudspeaker and saying like, okay, juniors, please report to the cafeteria for senior pictures or like whatever. Like you, you don't, you don't get that anymore. No. So that responsibility falls on now the first year college student. Mm -hmm. And assuming like one's parents are not moving onto the campus with them, which is the worst idea ever. um, You know, you're all left up to that yourself. Now you might think, well, big deal. It's a huge deal because you've never done it before. Exactly. Yeah. So what ends up happening is that you become tested on things that you've never been tested on before, like time management and organization and follow through and accountability. All of that's been taken care of in the past in, in our 
um, elementary, middle, and high school experiences for the most mm -hmm. part. So that part of it can be incredibly overwhelming. The other thing to consider is that you go to high school for 10 months, right? Yeah. A college semester is 16 weeks. It's four months. Mm -hmm. So now you really don't have the wiggle room to make adjustments alongside all that accountability stuff. Right. And so what happens with most students, if they fall behind in the first couple of weeks, the next thing you know, it's mid-October and it goes by very quickly. Mm -hmm. And you're looking at midterms for the first time in your life on a college campus. Right. So that organization of your time and follow through and being able to prioritize that in the midst of things like parties and invitations and games and I mean, just a completely new social world mm -hmm. and that represents lots of challenges right um so like you said not only are the academics changing but um the whole social world changes too you're meeting new people from all over the globe and in a new environment as well and so i'm well, with my experience and with a lot of my friends, um, picking a roommate is a big deal. Um, your freshman roommate, <laughs> you meet a lot of different people and you talk and then you see um, if you find somebody who you think you get along with well and you share similar interests. But I'm wondering, um, do you think when you get to college or even before, are there important um, ground rules to say um, to ensure that you and your roommate will have a healthy relationship throughout the semester? Absolutely. I think uh, to have, well, first and foremost, to have that conversation before you get to campus and, and to agree to have subsequent conversations after you move on campus mm -hmm. to check in on those points is absolutely critical. Right. That makes sense. And I like how um, you said subsequent conversations, too, because I think that um, roommates may have certain expectations at the beginning of the year, but it's also important to check in over time, too. Yeah. And you can't really, I don't think anyway, you can't really assume that, I mean, look, you may align with a potential roommate prior to getting to campus on a variety of different things. Mm -hmm. However, you come from one family system. They come from another family system. And the two of you have never lived together. And when people live together, they learn a lot about each other. Mm -hmm. And you may not have discussed certain things or anticipated certain things during those, you know, pre-arrival conversations. Right. Right. So it might be you find out, oh, good. My roommate doesn't smoke. Oh, good. They don't party so much. Oh, good. They're, you know, they're they like the same TV shows or maybe they play the same sport or something like that. But if you're, you know, a neat freak and they're in freaking slob, you know, that's going to bug you. At Definitely. Some point. Yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, un, you know, and, and those things we can't we can't altogether like plan for because otherwise what would eventually happen is if you went down the exhaustive personal list of preferences, you'd live alone. Right. Yeah. Right. So what my thought is like, all right, what are like the top, you know, five, maybe seven top value deal breakers 
mm-hmm. right? And 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 to sort of start that way. And if I hear one of those things, kind of like, uh oh, this this might not be good. Other stuff, you know, I can live with a person's idiosyncrasies and like kind of little weird habits or whatever. But by and large, you know, um, I don't want any big surprises. Right. <laughs> Definitely not. But I love the idea and totally encourage the idea of having those conversations at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good idea, too. I, by the way, um, on I think it was like a student orientation day, met, met a, a couple of guys who, you know, we, look, we hit it off. Mm-hmm. And we all like sports and whatever. And we're like, oh, yeah, we're all going to live together. This is going to be great. Right. And after a week, I moved out <laughs> freshman really? year. This is this is horrific. Wow. Yeah, it sucked. So um, fortunately, I, I, I there was a, a vacancy in the same hall, actually, um, in one of the rooms, and it ended up being like a a suite where there were two bedrooms and a common room, which was very unusual. And um, I mean, two of the guys that were in that in that room, I'm I'm still friends. Oh with. wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Um, So let's say you and your roommate, you know, you have a few things that you may disagree upon, but what if you find yourself battling probably more than you should or more than what you expected with your roommate? What advice do you have um, on that topic? Like, do you mean you're, you're finding yourself kind of going overboard to like help them or, or, you know, become really invested in their life or yeah, just kind of butting heads, disagreeing on more and more things. And it's just, I guess people just becoming incompatible over time. And maybe, maybe that sparks over just the semester progressing, or maybe it sparks from not having those conversations, but I'm just kind of curious if you find yourself just not really getting along with your roommate. Um, what are some tips you'd have for that? So, yeah, I mean, I think, that look remember by the way that to to go to college is to invest oneself in personal development self-discovery and evolving Mm -hmm. that's what that's really what we're paying for so that's part of it and so to develop the ability to address conflict and to self-advocate is part of it and having difficult discussions sometimes often leads to a deepening of the relationship, of the friendship. So it actually can be productive. Mm-hmm. You may, though, uh, following such a conversation, or it, usually it's a series of conversations, right. that you kind of agree to disagree. And maybe you make a different decision to live with someone else the following year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, you know, the, the first suggestion would be to just commit to agreeing to have check-ins with each other throughout the course of the semester. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and to be willing to listen to each other. Yeah, for sure. And, and that makes sense. I think that's easy to focus a lot on the academics, but really um, there's so much to learn outside of the classroom, too. Yeah. And look, I mean, it happens all the time. Roommate conflict happens all the time. And then if it escalates, there's other people on campus that are available resources to students who can help, you know, roommates resolve conflict. You know, it might be a resident advisor. 
if not them, maybe the resident director, if it gets kicked up that high, it may even go to the dean of students. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so when we were talking last week, um, we got a little bit into toxic, toxic relationships. So I was just wondering, um, what exactly is a toxic relationship? Well, fortunately, I don't. I heard there's no toxic relationships at the University of Texas, so you got nothing to worry about. <laughs> uh, now, uh, so toxic relationships—that's a good question. I think that won't, the, the way to think about them is, um, you know, when I consider someone who is I'm connected to, uh, what 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 value are are they bringing to to my life? Are they a person who's, you know. Uh, getting after it and, and, you know, in the words of Gary V, crushing it, um, feeling like really, you know, doing great things, wanting to get the best out of themselves. And they also want me to get the best out of myself. So they're inspiring and motivating and all that. And they're just a good person to be around. Um, now, if I recognize that I'm spending a lot of mental time feeling stressed out about that person or feeling like I'm devoting entirely too much of my time um, worrying about reactions that that person's going to have or, or that they're, they're that by me hanging out with them, it's bringing me down. Right. Those are usually some time, some signs of, of, toxicity you know am i spending so much time helping them that i'm not helping myself right that makes sense um i think that if are you going okay um i think that when people um realize that a relationship isn't going that well i think it's super easy to make excuses to either deny it or to kind of just you know gloss over it because those kind of issues um, I mean they're hard to kind of tackle and have those tough discussions but how do you determine if a relationship if there are some negative aspects as opposed to if it's actually toxic like how do you know when you should actually do something about it um I think it's I think good sort of measures or, or barometers of that are things like, you know, um, well, how much time and energy am I spending on this person while I'm studying or with other friends? Uh, while I'm with other friends, am I constantly worrying about this other person or stressed out or angry or, or have some kind of negative feeling outside of, wow, you know, you left your socks on the floor. Like, it's not about that. It's, it's usually about, you know, kind of bigger things or, or that I'm not able to concentrate and study. Right. Um, or that I, I can't sleep. Like I'm up all night, like kind of thinking and stressed out about this. Is it consuming me? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. When um, the relationship kind of takes more control over your life than it should. Right. I mean, ideally, you know, we look for reciprocity and balance in relationships. We look for, you know, healthy relationships that are really characterized by each person, again, like wanting to get the best out of themselves. But they're also this is really key too. they are happy for the other person's successes. Right. That's super important. 
right? Because if not, you sit with kind of envy and resentment. That's that's a toxic feeling. Yeah, for sure. Right. That's often associated with a toxic relationship. So good check-in points with those types of feelings, with those types of thoughts, with the way we're spending our, our mental energy um, while we're on campus or even outside of campus, really, but that's the nature of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting. I remember um, last week when we were talking as well, um, you were talking about the term emotionally being held hostage. Could you explain what that means? Oh, yeah, that, I, wow, awful. Uh, like, it's just an awful scenario. It's, it's, you know, it's, you know, me, we, you know, we're, we're in, we're in college with, with a bunch of other friends at at the University of Texas. And, and, you know, we, we have a group of friends and, um, and, and one of them says to you, Hey, Mia, I'm going to tell you something. Um, And you can't tell anyone. And if you do, I'll never talk to you again. I'll, you know, um, you know, I'll I'll sell you out on social media or even worse, I'll hurt myself. Wow. Now, so what the idea behind that is that you get pinned, one gets pinned into a corner. Now what happens is, well, oh, great. Now I can't say anything because if I do, this other person in my life is going to do something drastic. Wow, that that definitely is a super hard situation to be in, I can imagine, especially being on a college campus because these friends are new friends and also you're not with um, your old group of friends and, and your family to kind of help you with the situation. You feel like you're all on your own in that sense. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, what I mean, so what what happens if they make some kind of a gesture? Are you or what now you can't call their parents? Right. You know, because they'll, you know, uh, they won't be your friend anymore or they'll they'll share some secret that you've shared with them or they'll make your life miserable. In other words, so you get you get backed into this corner and, um, you know, it's another it's another real sign of of a toxic relationship, really. Um, And and it really for the person who is holding on to that, you know, I would urge them to go to someone on campus and talk that through mm-hmm. uh, because it's a very, very sticky situation. And it um, there's a difference, Mia, between being a caring friend and a caretaker. Right. Big mm-hmm. difference. For sure. Um, and not that, not that anybody, like for another example, like not that anybody drinks or parties at Texas, right? Um, but like, (laughs) let's just say a a group of kids did, right. And they were out like partying all the time. And one roommate winds up every weekend or multiple times a week saying to you, like, you know, not that you would do that or, you know, whatever, but, but to say like, okay, like me, like, oh, wow, I really don't want him or her to go because every time that they come out with us. I end up taking care of them all night. Right. They black out. They like don't remember where they are. You know, they risk getting injured or they make really poor decisions and they drink too much. And 
I mean, that's an awful, awful, you're not paying for that experience. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I mean, when you're in a friendship with somebody, um, there's definitely a difference between, you know, being there for somebody and helping them as opposed to feeling responsible for them in a sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And look, you know, one of the, one of the, the, the common, um, um, challenges that college students approach counseling center professionals on, um, on campus, uh, counseling center professionals is this question of how do I help my friend mm-hmm. or I know someone that's going through this. What do I do? That is a very, very, very common scenario. And it speaks to another area that um, college mental health centers are available to consult with students on because it, it does happen. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I think between this podcast episode and the last, I'm, I'm starting to see a trend that no matter what you're going through, whether it's about yourself or um, somebody else that you're in a friendship or relationship with, it's super important to be honest and to have those tough conversations and to seek help if you need it. Absolutely. And, and, and to your point of, of seeking help, and, and that is absolutely necessary, um, there's a couple of things that the students really need to know about college mental health centers, psychological services. They're called uh, several different things. Is that the services are changing. They've changed over the years. The trends have changed. It used to be that you could you could you could go to see someone in a counseling center for free for four years, and you could see your counselor and you could see them weekly, and that's called like long term mm-hmm. therapy. Well, because of the increase in you know, mental health concerns and challenges and diagnoses. Um, these centers, as I mentioned before, are very, very busy places. So what's happened to accommodate more students is that centers are moving more toward a short-term therapy model, meaning that no longer in most schools are you going to do like a year's worth of individual therapy. If a student's looking to do that, they might want to do some research on um, therapists that are in the community outside mm-hmm. of the college uh, if they're wanting to pursue something more regularly or if they're able to do telehealth therapy with their therapists from home that may work as well um, under certain guidelines uh, but if they're expecting to do it on campus in psych services that may not happen they want to look into that because a lot of schools are moving toward the four to six session model and then the group therapy model and students may be able to do um, semesters worth or two semesters or even a couple of years worth of group therapy where the centers can accommodate more students. You know, the national average, or at least it was national average is that there needs to be one licensed clinician for every 1500 students Mm, on a campus. That's, Right, exactly. Um, So the centers are changing. And then the other issue is that a lot of students uh, 
uh, may anticipate that if they're taking a medication, for example, for a, a mental health uh, condition, that they're going to be able to just continue to do that with the psychiatrist or the prescriber mm -hmm. on campus. Very important to check into that, too, because there are a lot of medications that those professionals, if they're on the campus, will not prescribe. Mm, interesting. Like a study drug like Adderall, for example, lots of schools will not prescribe that because one, it's very addictive. Two, unfortunately, kids do sell mm -hmm. it and or give it away. And um, so that's one of the medicines that they that a lot of schools will not prescribe. Other ones that are that are um, more helpful in treating panic disorder and you know uh, uh, anxiety um, medications like Xanax or Clonopin, which are very very addictive and very very dangerous, especially when people are uh, consuming alcohol too. Very unlikely they'll prescribe. Wow, that's them super too. interesting to think about. Yeah, it's definitely evolving. And I think what it does, Mia, and, and really kind of uh, emphasizes what you and I have been talking about uh, the past uh, you know, couple of episodes is the importance of prioritizing mental health and to do it now before you get to campus. For sure, definitely. I know. Yeah, it's definitely super important. And to take those steps right away instead of pushing them off. Absolutely. So what do you think? You think we covered everything? I think we did. We covered a lot of great topics. Super important. <laughs> Every college kid is going to be ready to go to school. <laughs> um, well, we want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. Um, please forward, you know, any questions that you have or comments. Uh, we'd love to hear about them. Um, we look forward to catching up with you in the next episode. Mia, thank hope you, you have a great you weekend. Okay. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Take care.